Pete. Good morning, everyone. All right, holiday series, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, which comes from the greatest commandment, which was first espoused when? Anyone know? Yeah, by Moses. Well done. <laughs> Through God to Moses. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your might. All your heart and all your soul and all your might um, in that context. And then it picked up again by Jesus who uh, several times affirmed it as the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. So through this holiday series, we're going to unpack um, what that might mean for us. Just that. Just that commandment. Just love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And your strength. I've got heart and soul today. Ed's is doing mine next week. Stacey's bringing it home with the strength. Um, okay. Uh, the, I'll put it up here. Am I seeing it? No, I'm not. Um, from Mark 12. If you've, if you've got your Bibles there, you can look at Mark 12. Uh, or you can find it in Matthew. Or you can find it in Luke or Deuteronomy. Um, where Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And he said, and the second is just like it. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. Um, in Mark, the scribe who asks him um, agrees. He says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this. This is the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy says, hey, I agree. You know, we should love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, that's more important than all of the sacrifices and the law combined. And Jesus has this like, oh. And he says to him, Awesome, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Because you get it. Um, in Luke, the guy agrees as well, but he tries to justify himself. That's the Good Samaritan story. You can look at that um, by yourself. But Jesus said, in these two commandments, all the law and the prophets hang on these two. So if you've got a paper Bible and you flick through the whole Old Testament, like that, Jesus just summed it all up. <laughs> or at least said, all of that hangs on these two. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when you ever you're feeling like this Bible is complicated, I don't understand this, especially when you're in the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets, and um, it's hard to sort of decipher all this. Remember Jesus said, it all hangs on this, that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love someone... Uh, how do you love God with all of your heart? How do you love anyone with all of your heart? It's figurative, isn't it? It's not like you're ripping the thing out of your chest and offering it um, to them. That would be gross. And you wouldn't be able to actually do it because halfway through that process, you'd lose the function to be able to, right? How do you love someone with all your soul? Where's your soul? What does that even mean? Um, and further layer than that is, what did they mean when they wrote that? What did the ancient uh, Israelites mean with all your heart and with all your soul? Because it's different than what we understand, so we're going to unpack some of that first. 
So our Old Testament writers, they, they didn't have our medical knowledge, they, but they did know the heart was important for physical life. In the story of David, if you, read, if you read through that while we were doing it, there's a space where there's this really horrible guy, narcissist, brutal husband, who dies because his heart gave out within him. His heart failed uh, within him. There was an understanding that the heart was necessary for physical life. Um, but they had no concept in that day and age for the brain. They didn't even have any uh, words for it. Um, inc- incidentally, that's why um, the Egyptians, when they mummified people, they preserved the liver and all of the in- these intestinal organs and they just sucked the brain out through the nose and discarded it because they considered it unimportant for the afterlife. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> So they had no kind of word or concept for the brain. They, they thought that intellectual activity happened in the heart. So the pages of the Bible, you'll read that we know with our heart, we understand with our heart, that wisdom dwells in our heart. We use our hearts to discern truth and error. So in biblical terms, the heart is where you think. Also, where you feel, in ancient Hebrew thought, emotions are experienced in your heart. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did um, when she was barren and praying before Samuel was born. From ancient Hebrew, we get the concept of a broken heart that we still use now. Our hearts can be afraid or distressed. And our heart is where we experience joy. It's where we can be. To be happy is to have a good heart in Hebrew literature. Or to have a heart of joy. Um, Therefore, my heart is glad and I rejoice, says the psalmist. So for Old Testament writers, the heart is a source of physical life, sort of intellectual um, life, of thoughts and emotion and desires. The heart is the seedbed of all of our desires. From the heart flows everything that we want. So the things that kind of drive us towards anything at all come from our heart in Hebrew literature. Uh, guard your heart because your whole life flows through it, we read in the Psalms. What we want, what we wish for, what we chase, what we dream about, all of this comes from the heart. Um, Psalm 19, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Sin at its core is desire, things we want. How can I know... And, and remember that in that psalm when he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of what? Of my heart be pleasing to you, God. And remember David's prayer after Bathsheba. Oh God, create in me a clean heart. What about soul? Where's your soul? What is your soul? Uh, We have this kind of idea that comes from Greek philosophy, not the Bible, that the soul is this disembodied part of you that kind of resides inside the physical and then floats out afterwards and, you know, like exists ongoing in some kind of um, ether somewhere. Uh, Or uh, that we can even have out-of-body experiences where our soul departs our body and kind of wanders around or... Whatever That is not from the Bible. It's not the, the biblical understanding of soul from the Bible. It's pagan philosophy um, and is unhelpful, really. 
The soul literally means the living being. The Hebrew word means living being. Uh, so Jacob had 33 souls in his family, 33 people. In the Torah, if you kill someone, you're a soul slayer. If you kidnap someone, you're a soul thief. Humans and animals are both called living souls. Corpses are dead souls. So, in the Bible, people don't have souls. We are souls, living, physical beings. There's no sense, biblically, that our soul is separate from our physical. A soul just means, like Adam's soul is Adam. Right? There's no separation of those things. My soul is me, my entire living being. So when we read, my soul praises God, that means me. I praise God. <laughs> Bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm telling myself, Danny, all of Danny, you praise God. Bless God. You know, That's our soul. So if my soul is all of me and my heart is, is my, my physical kind of makeup and my thinking and my emotions and my desires... When, I, when Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, it doesn't leave much room for me to say, look, I do well on Sundays, you know, and Wednesday nights. Nor I do well in this area of my life, but I also love this thing. Um, I do love God, but I also love this thing. I know he doesn't like that, but I like it. And so... You know, God understands because no one's perfect, right? Um, no, love the Lord your God with all your soul, your heart and your soul. How can we love God with all of our heart and soul? Um, I'm keeping to my 15 minutes. I'm going to give you one insight, and I hope it helps because it helps me a great deal. This, and we've kind of, um, we've kind of. Uh, We've done a good kind of lead up to it because we've sung, um, Jesus, you are my king. You are my king. And we're saying, let the king of my heart, the king of my heart, be the wind inside my sails, the driver, and the echo of my days. So, take delight in the Lord, Psalm 37, and he will give you your heart's desires. And this from Paul in the New Testament. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So delight in the Lord gives me my heart's desires. That's not like, you know, God, can you just please get the kangaroos off the bottom of the ladder? Like, that's, that's, not, that's not what it means. Is it? It's God's going to give me desires. God's going to give me the desires that he needs that I should have that will satisfy me. God's going to give me the desires of the kingdom and of heaven that are going to, that are going to free me to be the person, the human that I'm supposed to be so I can be completed and satisfied and fulfilled and enjoy this life and the next. Take delight in the Lord and he'll give you your heart's desires. God's working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So this is a prayer that will help you to love God with all your heart and your soul. Jesus, you're the boss. 
of what I want. Jesus, you're the boss of what I want, that is, of my desire. So I can see the new girl standing on her own, but I just want to be with my friends. Am I the boss of what I want? Or do I want to love God with all of my heart and all of my soul? Because to love God of all of, with all of my heart, he needs to be the boss of what I want. And if he wants to include the new girl, then I want to want that too. And I, I want to be rich. Uh. <laughs> there are plenty of worries in life, right? But I want to have so much money, I never have to worry about it again. Who wants to have so much money that they never have to worry about money again? Like, honestly, come on, who would like that? Who says, I want that? <sighs> That's what I want. But I want to love God with all of my heart, so he needs to be the boss of what I want. And if he wants me to risk my security with generosity, then I want to want what he wants. I don't, but I want to. Because <laughs> I want to love God with all of my heart and all of my soul. And not because it's a rule, but because it's the offer of life to me that I would love God with all of my heart and all of my soul. It is, the, it is the offer of freedom and satisfaction and joy unending and the kingdom of God that exists inside me now growing into eternity. Because in heaven, you won't want that. I won't want that. I'll just I'll trust God and I'll want him. And so I want to want that earlier, you know. Jesus, you're the boss of what I want. And when I'm feeling yuck, when I'm hungry or angry or lonely or tired, that's a great acronym. I got this off Pete Smith. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. What does that spell? Just do that acronym. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Halt. <laughs> halt. It's helpful. When I'm hungry, when I'm angry, when I'm lonely, and when I'm tired. And I want to retreat and binge on the short-term pick-me-up that I've found in my life that just sort of anesthetizes me a little bit. That's what I want. And sometimes my heart wants it so bad. And I'm sure you know what I mean. Whatever it is, something that God goes, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's... And you're like, but I want it. And you try and not want it, but your heart always gets what it wants. And you can't out-discipline that. What you need is a new desire. And you can't get that unless you surrender to the king, who is the boss of what we want. Who says, I'm giving you the desire and the power to do what? And you go, yeah, well, that doesn't feel like this other thing does. And you go, that's because you don't know Jesus yet. Who's going to satisfy your soul if you trust him? Jesus, you're the boss of what I want. Sometimes it's hard to let God be the boss of what I want. Sometimes it's hard to love God with all my heart and my soul. You think about this for your context, with your friends, with your school, with your home, with your marriage. What do you want for your marriage? 
for your job? What do you want sexually? What do you want relationally? What do you want financially? Do you reckon we can let the God be the boss of what we want this week? Just a little more than usual. Can we let God be the boss of what we want? It'll help us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul. To cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he transforms our desires. Um, And be comforted by this. There is no moment in your life or in my life where the Holy Spirit isn't busting his gut to transform your heart so that you will want the things that God wants. There is not a single place that you can go or a time of evening or whether you're on your own or with other people where the Holy Spirit is not flat out active in your heart, showing you, helping you, loving you, guiding you to want what God wants. Uh, It's been almost 33 years since I first surrendered my life to Jesus. I was watching these baptisms last week, and I'm like, yay, yay, and I'm pleading with God, help them to trust you every day. Um, To grow to people who will want what you want. I know um, the most satisfying things in my life, the greatest joys in my life, the deepest pleasures in my life, they happened when I let God be the boss of what I wanted. When I operate out of the, the kingdom desires, the things that God wants for me. And the pain and the regret and the places in my life that have turned to ashes and ruin, they happen when I have pursued what I wanted. When I was the boss of what I wanted. When I talk to non-Christians now... And they ask me why I'm a Christian. I go to this answer straight away because I think I'm the happiest person alive. That's how I feel most days. Um, Because of the transformation of what I want. Because of the desires that have shifted in my heart. Because I want forgiveness. Because I want inclusion of other people. Because I want love. Because I love selflessness. Not all the time, but in as much as I do, I feel joy and completion. And I think this is actually the answer for everyone. This is, this is utopia, really. If we get what God wants for us, this is beautiful and right and true. And this is how eternity is going. I can picture it now, the kind of community that we're walking into with Jesus for eternity. Like, not boring, amazing. Because of this transformation of desire that God is doing in our lives. Jesus, you're the boss of what I want. Uh, Let's invite the team up here. Um, Here's my prayer that I've been praying uh, for years, actually. But I've put it into these words uh, for us all this week. You can use it. Feel free to plagiarize as much as you want. Jesus, you're the boss of what I want. When you're struggling... Pray that. Jesus, ah, I feel yuck. You're the boss of what I want. When you're in community, when you're in a conversation that's killing you with boredom or whatever, Jesus, you're the boss of what I want. You know, when when you're struggling to get motivated for anything, Jesus, you're the boss of what I want. You give God your desires. That is loving God with all of your heart because he will transform you. So let's, let's... Pray that. I'm going to pray these words twice. 
And in your heart or out loud, you can join me if you want. Here we go. Jesus, you're the boss of what I want. Jesus, you're the boss of what I want. Amen.